Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hello and welcome to Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen. This is podcast number 192. I'm back in town. It's good to be here. We have an incredible guest today. His name is Kelly Leonard. Kelly, welcome. Thanks for having me. Let me just give you a little background about Kelly. You guys are going to really enjoy this podcast because you have some takeaways that will make a huge difference. Your ability to persuade, negotiate, influence, or just any aspect of your life. So Kelly Leonard's the executive director of Insights and Applied Improvisation of the world's famous Second City. For over 25 years, he's led Second City's live theater division, working with Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, Keegan-Michael Key, Amy Poehler, Seth Meyers, and more. That's quite a list. How did you get started with that? So I started at Second City in 1988. It was my first gig out of college, and I was a dishwasher, which is not as glamorous <laughs> as it sounds. Yeah, I got to uh, start somewhere. That's good. Yeah. Mike Myers and Bonnie Hunt and Jane Lynch were all in the professional company. Chris Farley was in the touring company. And the thing when you work on the night staff at Second City, you get to see all this incredible improvisation. These guys are all trained to make it up out of thin air. And it's really an incredible skill. So I was learning all about that while also working at a place, Second City at that time, that was incredibly dysfunctional, just like kind of a terribly run business. Four years later, Andrew Alexander, who had, was just then kind of the new owner of all of Second City, he had started Toronto, Second City, and SCTV, he took a chance on me, and in 1992, I took over producing Second City, and really just had such an incredible run uh, producing live theater, but then developing a lot of new programs, and then started working with our, our corporate side, who had been doing corporate inside work and training, and now I'm, I'm leading up a whole new division that just looks at that stuff. That's awesome. That's Congratulations. That's a, a long road. you got a lot of people that you've worked with that have been very successful. So before we get into the power of improv, I've got to ask, it's tradition here on the show, what yep. is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? Uh, are beets a vegetable? I think so. Beets are. I'd put them in the top ten. Yeah. Yeah, because I think beets suck. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out. I know like the beet lobby is going to come after me, uh, but they taste like garbage. And Brussels sprouts and, and beets kind of go neck and neck for me. And unfortunately, my wife loves both those things. Oh, jeez. Yeah, every once in a while, someone says, I like all vegetables. I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> they are lying. There's, they are being lying. There's no way. So as you nope. spent all these years in improv, you know, we talk about persuasion and influence here on the show. How can improv increase someone's ability in business or in influence or even in leadership? How does it help them? Oh, man. It's kind of countless. Let me start here. Probably the, the newest project I'm working on is a collaboration that Second City has with the Center for Decision Research at Chicago Booth at the University of Chicago. So one of the most esteemed business schools uh, in America, you know, teamed up with us. And, and what we see is that there's all these incredible insights that academia can bring us about the way that people behave and how they think and economics and neuroscience. Uh, but what that doesn't give all those smart people who are, are learning that stuff is the ability to go in and deal with a completely different dynamic day in, day out. You know, it's like when you prepare to go into a meeting and you're like, oh yeah, I've got, I got my talk points down and then you get in and everyone's tired and you can't kind of go the same way or, or, or no one wants to listen to you. But improvisation is exactly that. 
It's like practice in being unpracticed. So when you can combine sort of your insights, your smarts, with this ability to be agile in the moment and pivot and be sort of change ready, that's kind of a superpower. That's definitely a superpower because an influence, especially people those who are in sales, you're on script and when you they go off script, it just throws them off. The prospect feels it and yep. and it just ruins everything. And so how do you work with people to be able to go off script, to think on their feet? Because I can see this whether you're teach, doing a presentation or doing a, right. a, a meeting or a sales pitch. I mean, you need to be able to do this because if you can't go off script, you're not going to be very persuasive. No. So I'm probably going to like screw myself here and say it, it's actually easier than you think because the roots of it are pretty simple, which is we're terrible listeners. Just like uh, people, humans, especially in corporate America, we don't focus, we don't listen. Uh, so let's start there. So some of the earliest stuff we do in improv classes is mostly about unlearning. Here's an example. We have an exercise that we make people do where two people are having a conversation, but each person has to start their sentence with the last word that the other person just said. And what that does is it forces you to listen all the way to an end of a sentence. It's really awkward and hard. And what you realize is it's awkward and hard because normally you're not listening to the end of sentences. About midway through, you've tuned out, you think you have the gist, and you start preparing for what you're going to say. And when you improvise on stage, you can't do that because you're making up the script as you go along, and the last few words contain a lot of really important information. But how is that any different than real life? It isn't. There's a lot of important stuff that people are missing. So that's just a small sliver, and we take it from there all the way up to practice in things like feedback or negotiation, empathetic listening, being others-focused, all that stuff. That's a great exercise. Get them to train their brain, and I think it's a big one, too, just to trust your brain, to let your brain know yeah. that it's going to come up with something decent when they go off script to become better listeners. I think that's really important. But yep. I get this, too, because I'm a big believer in humor, and I've done studies in influence and humor, and there's a direct correlation between your ability to get someone to smile or laugh yeah. and influence. In fact, even mood. When people are in a better mood, they're easier to influence. And I get a lot of people saying, well, I'm not funny. How can I be funny? And and mm -hmm. I think anybody can be funny, but how would you address that where people say, well, I'm not funny. I can't do that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because in the beginning-level improv classes at Second City, we aren't teaching comedy. There's very little of that in level A, level B, even level C. What we're trying to unlock in you is what is your authentic voice? And if you can be in the moment and really present and listening, funny stuff's going to happen because you're just going to let it exist in the room. And yes, not everyone is a highly skilled comedian, but everyone has things that are quirky and true to them. And most comedy really is recognition. Most comedy is when you look at something and say, oh, like, I, I never thought of it that way. That's exactly right. Or I did think of it that way, and that person agrees with me. So simply allowing yourself to be highly present will probably produce some laughter. All right. I like that. Yeah, listeners, it's much easier than you think. Humor, mood, improv is a big part of influence no matter what you do. But as you're out there and you look at the world of influence or sales or even leadership, I know you guys focus on that. Yep. What do you feel is the biggest blunder? Don't, don't, don't! All right, what is the huh. biggest blunder you see that people do when they try to influence or persuade people? Uh, Over-controlling the conversation. 
I mean, or thinking actually that you control the conversation, not rec recognizing that a conversation means that there's more than one thing happening. There's a thing in improv that we learned, which is the people who fail at it are the people who have an insatiable need to be right. We find also that those are the people who kill creativity in a workplace, who make it a less happy place and, and therefore a less productive place to work. And it's hard, especially when you're smart and good at your job, not to try to control. I love to talk. I've got a lot of things to say. I really have to practice shutting up in a meeting. So I do. I resist. I have little gimmicks and ticks that I sort of kick myself under the table to pull back to allow a conversation to unfold around you. And what an amazing sales technique, right? Because this is kind of a cool thing from our behavioral science friends at the University of Chicago. We were talking about how we have these exercises in making you more others focused to really understand what's going on in the mind of another person. And my friend Heather Caruso, who's a scientist at the CDR, said to me, have I heard of self-verification theory? And I had not at all. And so this latest science, this insight is pretty cool. I think most of us walk around thinking that we want to be seen as our best selves, our smartest, our prettiest. And self-verification theory says that's not the case. What that theory says is that we want to be seen the way we see ourselves. So if I see myself as clumsy, it's important that you see me that way so you don't throw me a ball. But we don't say that. That's sort of an unconscious thing. So that means if I'm on the other side of the table, I really, really want to get at how that person across from me sees themselves. And that takes asking a lot of questions, shutting up and letting them talk. And then when you have that insight, man, that is an edge. That's a huge edge. We, we keep telling our listeners, quit vomiting on people. It's not working. Yep. Quit doing it. But it's just a natural instinct. Here are the 17 reasons, and they're not listening, and they want to get the word in edgewise. And yep. You mentioned listening is so important, and everyone, we all need to work on that one. But tell me more about the, the University of Chicago. It's interesting. We're all about the, the subconscious triggers, the, the yep. emotional side of persuasion, because that's the majority of persuasion. People tend to forget they're doing all these logical things and think that work. What else are you guys discovering as you do you're working with those behavioral scientists? So it's really interesting. We just did a study where we took a bunch of our, our students and split them up and ran a focus exercise. And half of the group was just given the lessons of the exercise. But the other half was told that if it's uncomfortable when they're doing this focus exercise, that means it's working. And we don't have the full amount of results in. We just did the first 200 people. We're doing another 200 but our hypothesis proved true, which is that when you tell someone that a exercise is going to be uncomfortable and that that means it's working, they'll work longer at it and they'll have more success at it. And that's what happened, like 90%. Just that idea of like claiming the discomfort or claiming the awkwardness, that's a good thing. And I think for a lot of people, and it goes to the fear brain, right? They have a tendency to want to avoid it, not talk about it, sweep it under the rug. But that doesn't work. It's the other way. I like that. You're managing the expectations. I, I read that in a study with students taking a math test. Half were told it was complicated, half were told it was easy, and it just changed the whole dynamics. Yeah. And so that's interesting as you're working with the behavioral scientists because we're all about really understanding human nature and why we do what <laughs> we do. And that's a big part of influence and adapting to them. But you mentioned something interesting earlier I want to kind of pursue. He says, yeah. we need to make the workplace a happy place. And I'm all about yeah. that. I and I think everyone agrees that should happen. What are some steps that you've seen with maybe companies you've consulted with that kind of turn that corner, make it a maybe a, a more fun place, a happier place? What have you seen? Okay, so here's a big one. 
and it has to do with email. Daimler Chrysler has done a thing that I think is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life, which is when you go on vacation and you're an employee of Daimler Chrysler and someone emails you, a client or business inquiry, uh, that email is immediately returned to the sender with a note that says, this employee's on vacation. You can either reach them at this time or email this other person. So when you're on vacation with Daimler Chrysler and you come home to your office, your inbox looked just like it did when you left. I like that. Get you focused on your vacation. It's hard a vacation when you get the phone calls. And the well, yeah. And sucks and you the know, life out of you. <laughs> you're, when you're on vacation, you're constantly checking for your emails because you don't want to get behind. So you don't have the kind of mental rest that you need. And to have a company step up and say, you know what, your health, your well-being is important. You need a break because that's going to make you more effective. It will. The science backs that up, and it shows an investment in that employee. And as we all know, and the science backs this up, right, purpose is the reason that we work hard. That's why we stay. We, you know, we don't, they always say you don't leave jobs. You leave bad managers. You leave bad leadership. And I think that's very true. That's true. I'm curious, though, if any part of the study that if the – People on vacation started drooling or foaming at the mouth because of the withdrawal as of not being able to hear the <laughs> ding and answer their emails. Because I know that's an addiction, too, but that's a whole nother podcast. They might be playing Farmville instead. It's yeah, kind of the same they're, thing, they're right? doing something on their phone. They're just not answering emails. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I definitely like that. Another quick question here as far as the authentic conversation. I mean, we talked yeah. about really adapting adding a little more improv, not following the script. How do you turn that into authentic? Because I, well, I know when it's authentic, there's more trust, there's more of a connection. How do you explain to people to become more authentic in their conversation? It's a skill, right? And we don't get to practice it, which is amazing to me, right? This is, the, you know, what is more important than uh, that face-to-face -face meeting? And how many businesses give their employees practice in that? But that's what improvisation actually does. It puts two people across from each other we give them actual exercises and allow them to sort of beta test if I do it this way, beta test if I do it that way. And when you practice over time, especially with sort of our expert coaches who can provide insights into what you do well, what you maybe need to work on, the cadence of, of that conversation, just the skill building around that makes you potentially more successful. And so I think it is first practice, but then authenticity is a tricky beast, right? Because we have to sort of figure out what is our authentic voice. And for some people, they are an introvert and they shouldn't try to be an extrovert because it just won't play well. And there are ways to get what you want as an introvert, just so that there's, there are ways to get what you want as an extrovert. And I think too often we just sort of fall into these traps of, ah, I'm a bad salesperson or I'm a good salesperson. I mean, I've actually literally had people in my office who if I walk by them, will say something negative about themselves and sales capacity. And normally, those are the people who don't sell well. So you really have to sort of do a good mental model for yourself into how you are most successful and go with that. Oh, well said. I agree 100%. I mean, that mindset, the self-persuasion, the way you talk to yourself. I mean, that's yeah. half the battle while you're in business or in sales. Or no matter what you do, that is a mm -hmm. key factor with everyone I've interviewed and all the studies that I've seen. Good stuff. Yep. Well, let me ask you this. What's the one thing I miss? What do our listeners want to know? What's the one thing you want to share with them we haven't covered so far today? You know, here's the thing. We were talking about this in a meeting just last week, which is I wrote a business book, right? I wrote a book called Yes And. They made me have like the seven rules of improvisation. And I'm like, okay, and I did it. And then I look at every other business book and it's the 10 plan this. It's the 12 star that. It's the one thing. And the fact is that is all bold. <laughs> there is no... <laughs> 
There is no one path that works in every situation. And what we're trying to do with the Center for Decision Research at Chicago Booth is use their insights, all right? And so the insights from academia give you an expectation that behavior will probably work this way, that most people don't listen, that most people want to be seen as they see themselves, all that stuff. And then what the improvisation does is allow you to get into a situation or a room that is not behaving in the way you think it is, and you'll have practiced some behaviors that allow you to have some agency in that room and maybe pivot the conversation or try something new. And I think that blend will make people's work better. I can't say the ROI on that is 5%, 10%, 25%. What I do know is that if you listen 2% better, you're going to do better. Well said. Thank you so much. So we know you wrote a book called Yes And, but where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do and uh, get in contact with you? I'm on Twitter all the time at KL Second City. They can find me on LinkedIn. And then at secondcity.com, we have just created an insights and applied improvisation page. And we're adding up there the research we're doing, other research, new programs. We're starting to offer a whole suite of executive education programs through Chicago Booth's executive education department. So find me online, and I'd love to interact with folks. Kelly, thanks for being here. Well said. Great information, listeners. I hope you took some great notes and pick at least one thing you're going to apply today because influence is the key to your success. So master these skills and go out and persuade with power. 